بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صلي على سيدنا نبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم بين سورة حميم سجدة وفصلت سورة نمبر 41 آية 34 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا تستوي الحسنة ولا السيئة ادفع بالتي هي أحسن فإذا الذي بينك وبينه عداوة كأنه ولي حميم This is a surah which is تنزيل من الرحمن الرحيم a revelation <coughs> from the Rahman, from the Rahim. See how this ayah corresponds with that statement in the beginning of the surah. That good deeds <coughs> do not equal bad deeds. The factual statement, La Tastawi al Hasana. So there is no equation and no similarity between al-hasana, which is a good deed, and the sayyah, which is a bad deed. They are not equal in any way, shape or form. A good deed comes out from the Rahman and the Rahim, and the bad deed comes from the shaitan. And the bestial nafs. So the place of origin for the hasana is different than the place of origin for the sayyah. And then the form of the hasana, the good deed is very different from the form of the bad deed. That's number two. Number three, the effect of the hasana is very different from the effect of the sayyah, the bad deed. So they are not equal at any level, neither from the beginning, nor in the middle, nor at the end. They are totally different. And that is how we must see this ayah bringing about a factual reality of ethics. Um, and also the virtue ethics and also Islamic ethics. The Islamic side is the reward that is attached to the good deed and the sin and the punishment attached to the bad deed. That's the Islamic side. Hmm? Everything else you may entertain in the realm of the dunya and speculate and so on and so forth. Um, but this is where Islam obviously is much better than any other philosophy, ideology, where you have a comprehensive, holistic understanding of the word and the term uh, that there has to be an effect to a good deed and the effect is reward. So you cannot deny that reward. <coughs> 
and likewise there is an effect of the bad deed uh, which is invariably going to occur you cannot deny the effect of the bad deed the sayyah وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا As the Qur'an says, that the recompense for a bad deed is a similar bad deed or effect that comes along with it, a natural effect. Well, the difference is in Allah's forgiveness. The difference is in Allah's being Rahman Rahim. The difference is in Allah's fadl. Which, as you know, a group of people amongst the Muslim communities early on uh, decided that God had to punish everybody because the effect of a bad deed is a bad effect. They did not take into account Allah's forgiveness, Allah's fadl, Allah's prerogative, etc. But this ayah goes a long way to us appreciating the ethical norm and the system of Islam that hasana and sayya cannot be mentioned in the same sentence together to equate the two. The Islam has a value, as I said to it, that some deeds are hasana merely because they are rewarded and some deeds are sayya merely because the deed is now either reprimanded or it is punishable. Whatever Allah decides to do with that. So that is how we must understand this statement of fact that the good deeds do not equal the bad deeds. The good deeds are a much higher platform of human behavior than the sayya and so on. Then the Quran gives us a remarkable formula to behave uh, as the standard behavior of uh, every human being has to be what human beings can achieve potentially. That standard is the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He is a standard of moral virtue and ethics and how human beings should behave. Uh, that is what his life mission was to uh, perfect the higher institutions of moral and ethical behavior. So repel with that which is better, which is kinder, and which has more husn and more benefit in it. Yeah. Repel what? Everything. The evil doings, the sayyi'ah, with that which is hasana. In the hasanat, Quran mentions this principle in another place that hasanat, good deeds, they take away, remove, and perhaps even eradicate the bad deeds. Meaning, if you have good deeds, then the bad deeds will immediately go away. The good deeds are replacement for the bad deeds, or the good deeds may erase the bad deeds in terms of their effects, in terms of their being punishable, and Allah may forgive you for the good deeds you do. And so which mentioned in several hadith uh, to that effect, except perhaps that major sins uh, need to be uh, removed by tawbah, repentance, uh, and so on. So here Allah subhanahu is saying that uh, repel their bad deeds, their sayyah, with something which is better. That is now the ihsan, uh, 
the level of uh, human behavior which is more than dignified. Mm. At the lower level, there is the level of what we call adal or justice. Inna Allah ya'muru bil adl. Allah commands you to do justice. So the level of adal, you may have this jaza wa sayyatin sayyatun mithlaha. That if you want to retaliate, then you retaliate proportionate to the wrongdoing inflicted upon you. Okay? So that's other, that's justice, that there is a sense that you may retaliate, but the higher level of uh, ihsan is now to repel it with something that is much better than just justice. Hmm? Either that, so now you can uh, forgive and forget, and uh, you can move on, and so on. So any bad deed that is uh, now perpetrated has to be met not with a similar bad deed, but with a kind deed or kinder deed. Kind doesn't necessarily always mean gentle. Sometimes Muslims, we get the wrong end of the stick because of our Christian language and orientation uh, that sometimes Muslims have to be soft. It's not about softness or gentleness here. It has to be better. Sometimes better is to actually punish the person who has committed a, a crime. If you left, left everybody off the hook when they're committing crimes left, right and center, then you won't have a society left. So that is not kind. That is being ruthless. So you have to be careful how you phrase and use the words in English. They they, they don't necessarily correspond with the Arabic word ahsan, that which is better, that which has more ahsan, that which is now leading you to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, understanding how you do this. So sometimes... People do quote this ayah all the time for, we would say, what personal uh, relationships, family relationships, and societal relationships that someone does something wrong to you, you forgive, and you forget, and you move on, and you quote this ayah. And that repel the, with which is, is better, and has more ihsan and beauty, and be kinder and gentler, and whatever, which is one way. But it's not the only way, and uh, you do have to leave room for a show of force, which might be kinder in the long run, especially at the societal level. Maybe not not so much at the personal level. Sometimes it is kinder not to help people. Uh, somebody's always asking you for, a, a, what do you call it, a, a handout all the time. And you keep on giving him or her the handout and that makes them more lazy than lazy. So that's not being kind. That's called destroying the person's ability to do anything for himself. That's not ahsan. That's aswa. That is worse. So again, you have to measure everything according to what is the hasana, what is the sayyah, what is the effect of my hasana. So the Islamic value is always about the effect also. So the, the, from the beginning to the end, the whole thing, that is it from a position of strength, I'm doing this, and what is the effect and consequence of my doing this? 
So if there's a bully and he's always bullying you, so it's not kindness that you treat him with kindness. You have to stand up to that and then take care of it. Like you stand up to a tyrant and so on. It's not kind to concede to a tyrant all the time, every time. And so, on. so sometimes you do have to speak your mind and that is Ahsan. That is what? Ahsan. Yeah, that is better. Yeah, in that you have to show with your action that you are doing that person a favor, which is the result of your action. So if the result of your action is that you're going to create and produce a better effect than the evil that that person has punished, has perpetrated, then that's fine. And that is how you must now see the implications of understanding this ayah comprehensively and also holistically. Having said that, the Quran always emphasizes that in your personal relationships, if there's something that has been done against you personally, against your nafs, then obviously you have the recourse of following the Prophet وسلم, and forgiving and moving on. And on. That is where the Quran now is speaking here. Then all of a sudden, the one between whom you, between you and him, there is an enmity. All of a sudden, he will become your loving, intimate friend if you're able to do this and that and so on. But this obviously comes from a position of strength where you're able to inflict justice, but you don't. Not from a position of weakness. This doesn't happen where you are being obviously exploited and you don't have anything to do in order to repel the exploitation and so on. This is when you have the ability to punish or to forgive and you choose forgiveness over punishment. Then the ayah works. That's how your behavior should be. Because if, if, if you're too weak to do anything, then you're too weak. The ayah will not apply to you. So there you have to make dua and ask Allah to help you and take care of you and protect you and so on. So we have to take everything with uh, this prescription of a total Islamic behavior. That is not proper for Muslim to humiliate and uh, himself. Right. So that is also there. So all of these ahadith and all the ayat of the Quran will come into this ayah and you will see that someone who now uh, is now in a position uh, to, to uh, inflict punishment and justice like in Yusuf alayhi salam when his brothers eventually come to terms with him and they realize he is now uh, a very big person in Egypt. Yusuf is able to punish them, imprison them, do anything he wants to them, with them. But he decides not to. He forgives them, pardons them. So this is where uh, then they become friends. The brothers now see the rank of Yusuf in his ethics, his moral behavior, in his uh, honesty, his decency, and in his uh, you know being kind to them. That although he's able to punish them, he doesn't. That is where that person becomes waliyun hamim, a friend. Waliyun hamim. Yeah. Like the Prophet ﷺ forgave so many people 
who had heard him. Uh, so the Sahaba forgave so many people who had hurt them. Uh, so so in, in our daily lives, our individual lives at a personal level, and sometimes at a societal level, then you can apply this, uh, what do you call it, model of the Prophet and other Prophets, والسلام, and come to terms with that person so that you'll be doing that person a favor. The, 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 the bigger, I, I think, question will be that how then do you treat that person after you've forgiven them? Do you treat them with scorn or do you treat them with honor and dignity? Hmm. Then you have to continue treating them with honor and dignity. You mustn't impose your favor on them. So I, I have the ability to punish you. That mustn't linger over that person's head. Otherwise, that is a detriment. That's called other in the Quran. You must not cancel out your good deeds and your sadaqat, uh, your kindness and your charity by imposing your favor and then hurting them. Okay? That will give you uh, $20 billion to do this, but will continue to bully you uh, for the next 50 years. That's not what this ayah is saying. Right? That's called exploitation in the name of charity. Um, so there you have to be at the societal level and personal both. You have to measure how you're going to evaluate the actual statement of kindness and goodness is not equal to an evil act and a bad deed and so on. Here, the ability to forgive is huge and immense because this is now, you're almost a very, very, at a very minuscule level reflecting Allah's names are Rahman Rahim. That Rahman Rahim, although he's able to forgive, he will hopefully will choose not to punish. Hmm? Yeah. And that is how we see this ayah being a reflection, as I mentioned, of the first couple of ayat that the surah started with. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals this as a Rahman, as a Rahim, and he wants this order in society, that society must understand appreciate that people will do wrong things and they will commit sins and errors and mistakes and, and they will be perpetrators, they will inflict injustices all over the place, but a time might come when you have the upper hand and you might be able to inflict a little bit of justice yourselves, but then you must choose the best and the better option as to whether you should or you shouldn't and so on. So it becomes a bit tricky at the political level. It becomes okay, I think, at societal level, but personal, at the personal level, I think the Quran is emphasizing that if it's for your own person, then you must uh, lean towards forgiving the person who has hurt you so that your nafs is now controlled and uh, you, you do not, uh, uh, um, you know, extinguish your anger by uh, effecting justice on someone. Who can be spared? Yeah. Um, this uh, portion of virtue and moral behavior uh, will not be given, will not be received, except for those who have sabr. Mm. 
meaning this value and this ethic will not be thrown upon anyone except the one who has immense patience and who is exercising sabr. Those who have sabr will be able to act upon this recommendation and those who don't have sabr will not be able to recommend this, uh, will not be able to uh, use this prescription and they will fail, they will choose to inflict justice or something else and so on. So this is a huge, what we call nasib for this person, a huge share of Allah's fadl. This being able to forgive despite being able to punish is a share of Allah's fadl. So you want to seek Allah's fadl. So Allah's fadl comes in many ways, uh, money, wealth, children, health, uh, education, or whatever. And it also comes in this, moral values, ethical values. Uh, so, so adapting the ethical value is, وَمَا يُلَقَّاهَا إِلَّا ذُو حَظٍ The one who, who has a great share, حَظٍ Share Azim, huge, tremendous share will be given this. What is that? This ethical, moral ability to do this. That you want to convert the person in front of you from being your enemy into being your friend. Mm. So that power of conversion only comes to those who have patience. And if you don't have patience for your task ahead of you, especially if it's a moral and ethical task and you you choose to uh, understand that you will be rejected and denied and refused and downtrodden but yet you still continue and then all of a sudden people come to you the people who now would insult you are now your helpers that is what the Prophet ﷺ did with the Early Sahaba, especially in Mecca, those who refused to believe in him, those who attacked him, persecuted him, etc., became their, his greatest helpers. Um, the story of Umar, radiallahu anhu, obviously comes to mind first, that he came to assassinate the Prophet, and then he ended up being the greatest statesman of Islam after the Prophet. So that conversion, so in, in, you know, my discussions of change, which I have had over 30 years ago, I've mentioned the, the ethical value of social change. That social change can only be effected if there is an ethical component to the people who want to influence society. That the more resolute and firm you are, the more change you will effect. Now this, unfortunately, applies to Muslims and non-Muslims at the same time. If non-Muslims are resolute and firm in what they want to do, and then they are patient with it, then they will see the effects themselves. As, uh, maybe not at the level of the Prophet them, or at the level of the uh, Sufis and the awliya of Allah, but at least at a very kind of mundane level, like Martin Luther King and others, they're patient with their movement, or Malcolm X, or whatever. Some change came about, a little bit. Not at that level. 
yeah, you have some civil rights now uh, because of that and so on. Meaning that persistence, uh, perseverance, and resolve, and patience, and the ability to forgive and, and move on and take people with you is something that all prophets had with them at all times. And every time they were rejected, they met their rejectors with uh, passion, uh, with forgiveness, and with dedication and honor, and so on. So that, this is how we must value this ayah, that this ayah brings about a social change like none other. The difference there, obviously, is that the hasana, that the prophets, والسلام, are rewarded for their sabr and their patience, whereas others may not be rewarded for whatever it is that they tried to do and whatever change they brought into the world. And the proof shows in the pudding. The revolution the Prophet ﷺ created still exists today, after 1400 years. And their change is kind of short-lived, if lived at all. So he said, The one who has a tremendous share will be given something of this ability to repel the evil with that which is better than the evil. And as I said, sometimes the better option is perhaps to retaliate, and sometimes the better option is not to retaliate. And that is based on the context and the circumstance. But you must have the willpower to forgive, which is what the Quran is saying here. The willpower is uh, your ability to say that I'm going to be just the, my minuscule reflection of the Rahman and the Rahim, where the Rahman and the Rahim will also deal with me this way. As the Quran says uh, in Surah Nur we did Atahibbuna Ayyakfirullah Lakum don't you want don't you love the idea that Allah will forgive you? So you must forgive people for their inequities so that Allah will forgive you for yours. So that's the reflection of how you do this at a very personal level. This is how you develop your nafs and your your beast, your side, that your beast, your side is, doesn't always have to be like a lion and a tiger and a snake and a scorpion. And a, I'm always there to uh, attack and attack and attack and so on. Sometimes you have to be tame and kind and uh, accommodating and so on. And if by chance that there is an insinuation from the devil, that if the there is an insinuation, some insinuation insinuates you from the devil, literally, that's what the word means. Then meaning the Prophet ﷺ was also there privy to the devil, the devil is inside the Prophet ﷺ. And if he suggests something, first then seek refuge in Allah. Allah is there. He will not allow the devil uh, to follow through with his insinuation in you. Mm. That Allah will never allow that to be something that is part of the Prophet ﷺ's person, being, personality. Moral behavior, action, reaction, it won't happen. Allah has protected the Prophet ﷺ and his uh, office, if you want to call it that, from such 
perversions and misdirection and detraction and so on. So this is how Allah is saying to the Prophet ﷺ, this Qur'an has been revealed to you from the Rahman al-Rahim and when the devil approaches you, you will realize this is from the devil and then you must seek refuge in Allah and the devil will then be converted as the Prophet ﷺ said that he has converted and only instructs me to do good. So that's a conversion of a high order that you actually convert the devil to be good which is unheard of in the creation of Allah. That someone or something that is innately evil changes its nature and does exactly the opposite of its nature. That level of conversion you don't see. That's a higher miracle than all the other miracles uh, put together. That the Prophet's devil only instructs me to do good. So you must appreciate this ayah in that sense in the hadith which I just quoted you that he is seeking refuge in Allah. Allah has the ability, power to change and to convert realities. So here Allah has converted the reality of the devil and made sure that the devil does not insinuate any evil to the Prophet If there is, then that evil is overtaken by the hasana the goodness and the good deed of the Prophet Sallallahu So you see this as the uh, the protection of prophethood uh, from any evil whatsoever. And because of this, they are able to overcome temptations over and resist any kind of uh, idea that they might uh, now procure because of human nature. The Prophets, والسلام, they're human beings, so they feel what other human beings feel. So they will be sad, and they will be angry, and they will be happy. They're not robots. Because Prophets are infallible, doesn't mean to say they're not human. It is because of their humanness that they become infallible. Uh, not because they're divine. If you say that, then you're going the Christian way. <laughs> That's the mistake they made. That they can't see how infallibility and humanity go together. So we say, no, Allah is beyond fallible and infallible. That, that, that's, it's not even discussion. Allah is divine, period. Okay? But the prophets, they're human. They're flesh and blood. They have temptations and they have feelings and they have emotions. And they go through ups and downs, and they go through trials and tribulations. And, and, but despite that, they maintain a certain standard of ethics and moral behavior, where they overcome and resist their temptation towards becoming bestial. And they temper themselves. That is how Allah protects them from the insinuations of the devil. Uh, but they do feel. Wahshi is the person who killed uh, Hamza, right? Wahshi became a Muslim. Uh, when the Prophet would see him, he would say, I appreciate you're Muslim, I'm happy for you, but it would be best if you did not sit in front of me. Because I remember my uncle when I see you.
What does that show you? He's a human. <laughs> He's not a robot. He's not a robot. I mean, then he just feels what he feels. Somebody reciting Surah Lahab uh, in the masjid. And the Prophet Sassim next to him. The Prophet Sassim says, Calm down. This Surah is about my uncle. I feel for him. So he's human. He's not a robot. And so the mistake that Muslims make is that they assume that since the Prophet Sassim is the best human being, that somehow he is devoid of human emotion. He's not devoid of human emotion. He is very human. He feels what we feel. The difference is, he is high above. Uh, on a very high pedestal. He rises above human behavior and temptation, and he makes himself a standard for human ethics and virtue, the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants him to be. So this seeking refuge in Allah. Allah is the one who gives him refuge from his soul, from his nafs, from his temptations, from his desires. And then the Prophet is not allowed to commit a sin that way, even though the devil wants him to, but then the devil doesn't. He now has converted and only instructs the Prophet ﷺ to do good. So this is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favoring, first of all, the Anbiya, and then most of all, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. And he becomes a role model. Allah is the one who now helps him, supports him. Innahu Indeed, he, indeed, it is he who was the one who is all hearing and all knowing that he hears the insinuations of the devil. He hears your thoughts. So he listens to your thoughts. He knows he can listen to your thoughts as you're thinking, as the Prophet Sassim is thinking. He can hear you think and he hears your thoughts and he knows everything there is to know before you, after you. The effects of your thoughts, the, the consequences of your thoughts and whatever else there is that is created by Allah himself. So this is how we see Allah Ta'ala's favor on the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu But the discussion starts with this, the Tastawil Hasana. The Hasana, good deeds, are not equal to Sayyah, bad deeds. They're not the same. They cannot be equated. Then likewise, in the Ummah today, Muslims want to equate all bad deeds with Islam. They want an Islamic label and everything haram that they do. So this ayah is for those people also. Hasana and Sayyah, they're not together. You cannot put an Islamic label uh, on anything that's evil. You can't pour zamzam over pork and say it's halal. It doesn't work. Okay, so gays, lesbians must take note. Evil is evil. You can't say Muslims are allowed to do this and say this is Muslim. They're not the same. They don't even exist in the same world, the same universe. They're totally separate. Yeah. So we must take this ayah and project it onto the community and see what's the community doing today. The community is doing this. It's equating evil with goodness. They want an Islamic label and everything haram that they do. 
So you can't do that. Then that definitely is not just an insinuation from the devil. It's a conspiracy from the devil. The devil wants you to do this. And the devil, unfortunately, is succeeding almost every day to make sure that Muslims don't understand the value of hasana and they don't see the non-value of sayya. So it is a lesson for all of us here as we speak in our community here today. And then more than that, those who promote the hasana, they're marginalized and they're seen as the outsiders. You're not going with the flow. How dare you insult us? There, then we would have to say, Okay, repel it with something that's better. There, better is definitely the good deed. Uh, say that this is evil and this is uh, good. Uh, marriage is good. What you're suggesting is evil. There, there's no forgiveness. You don't compromise. So there, the ahsan is to do what? Tell them that's evil. That is the ahsan. The ahsan is not to remain quiet or to concede and say that no, we have to do this and no, we have to do that. So we will see how these ayat apply to our context as we speak. The Qur'an is a live, mashallah, entity. The Qur'an is a live being. It speaks. It's Allah's kalam, Allah's speech. It talks to us. It talks to our reality. It talks to our context. And what is, no, we don't listen. Allah is the one who listens. Innahu huwa samiul alim. Allah listens. So why don't Muslims listen to what the Qur'an is saying? The Qur'an is saying, wake up, this is hasana, this is good, and this is sayyah, this is evil. Why don't you listen to what the Qur'an is saying instead of listening to your nafs and then conceding to the bestial, almost inhuman attitudes that you are bringing to the surface and you are telling the ummah, to do this and do that, all in the name of good, in the name of hasana, in the name of accommodation, in the name of humanity, in the name of being more accommodating and liberal and all of that. So that's how we must now appropriate the ayat as the ayat speak to our context all the time. And it doesn't matter which time you're in, the Quran will speak to you. Doesn't matter which ayah you pick up, the ayah will speak to you. You just have to think about it for a short while and you see that it relates to you, your context, your reality, your existence. And then there's nothing more that we can say on this subject than what the Quran is already saying and doing for us, inshallah. Hmm. The next set of ayat are kind of extensive. There are three ayat that we need to discuss. But they will require much more time than what we have left today, inshallah. So anyway, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to listen to what Allah is saying, allows us to read the Qur'an, to understand it, allows us to benefit from the revelation of the Qur'an in our lives and allow the Qur'an to guide us and guide the ummah and allow the Qur'an to be our Shafa uh, interceder on the day of judgment and allow us to listen to the Quran inshallah in Jannah. Amin. Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khilqi. Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Wa rahmatihi 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 wa r